0: Environmentalist, poet, farmer Wendell Berry wrote that there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. I have always had an eye for the sacred. I grew up knowing to look to the orange sticks of the sun, to the ponds and and leaves and blazing lilies, especially when confronted with the ugly truth that human beings can and do desecrate so much. I found much solace and hope in the ability to make choices about what I would focus on, choosing to emphasize the beauty and the joy that can be found right alongside, and sometimes even right in the midst of, life's challenges, its ugliest, most frightening moments. This glass-half-full approach has been promoted in many cultures on behalf of the gratitude that is owed to our Creator and to our ancestors, on behalf of the abundance that is the sacred hoop of life itself. According to those traditions, and to Oprah, even if Or when life gets ugly, there is so much good, so much for which to be grateful, always. There are gems hidden among the weeds. There are promises lying in wait. Blessings abound for those who know to claim them. Trusting this, cultivating the vision for and the commitment to that truth, has has worked for me, it has saved me for a really long time. It has helped me to to not just sink to my knees in despair, weeping when confronted with desecrated places, desecrated landscapes and lives, ideals, hopes, and dreams. Trusting in life's promise has helped me to not forget that beauty and creative potential do still exist, and it has helped me to keep watch for these, to engage with them. And that is no small feat. As part of my spiritual practice, for many years now, I've been looking very intently at the ordinary. I've been looking into into shadows and into the underbrush and into piles of refuse, allowing the, the textures and the colors and the shapes and compositions to speak to my heart. I listen for what they tell me of life's complexity and resilience of the identity and purpose and impact of things beyond the most obvious. I take pictures, and I post them on social media with the words that come to me during my meditations. This year I created a page for others to join me in that practice, and some of the photos you just saw were from that group. Participants tell me that this practice has helped them also cultivate an eye for the beauty that that they might otherwise have overlooked. It's helped them stay curious about life, and attentive, and, and engaged, even in ugly times. And that is gratifying. At the same time, I am growing aware of what a privilege it is to make that kind of choice. What a privilege it is to to tune out that which offends one's sensibilities and to just turn one's lens onto the beautiful. But that is the human preference, isn't it? Perhaps because we have no stomach for ugliness or discordance and for what it asks of us, or because doing so makes it easier to await the fulfillment of of whatever we believe has been promised to us. A couple of weeks ago, for the Jewish holiday of Shavuot, I was invited by a local synagogue to share my reflections on a Torah portion that, that felt significant to me, and I chose the story of Jacob's Ladder in Genesis. Here's a quick recap. Jacob, having tricked his father into giving him a blessing meant for his brother, leaves home. A smart move, one can imagine. It's getting late. It's getting dark. And he stops for the night, and he takes a stone or a pillow because that's all he has. And he manages somehow to fall asleep. And he has a dream a fantastic vision in which a ladder reaches up to the heavens from the ground right in front of him, with angels, messengers of God, ascending and descending that ladder, going up and down. It is spectacular! At this point, God appears. God appears and promises Jacob and his countless descendants blessings, far exceeding the one that he finagled from his father, blessings that millennia later continue to inform Jewish identity and politics. Jacob wakes up, awestruck. Nothing is the same. He is shaken to the core. Everything looks different now. What seemed like such an ordinary place is suddenly infused with the power of that vision and God's promises, and he now recognizes that place as sacred. And he wonders how it could be that he had not recognized that place as the abode of God, as the gateway to heaven, when he chose to stop there. How indeed... To commemorate this amazing, luminous experience, now a mere memory, Jacob takes the rock on which he slept, and he sets it up as a shrine, and he consecrates it with oil. This ancient story spoke to me for a number of reasons. First, because I know what it is, like Jacob, to want to run away from my past from things I'm not particularly proud of having done. I'm also part of a culture adept at manipulating people to its own advantage, as Jacob did. This country has a long history of taking things that are not its birthright. So I can, unfortunately, relate to that desire to put distance between myself and that past as an individual and as an American citizen. What got me about this story is that Jacob has this amazing, mind-blowing vision of angels ascending and descending, a luminous ladder and sparks of light being carried up and divine blessings being brought down, so much activity, so much unifying motion. The two worlds, heaven and earth, mingling, connected, involved in active interchange right there. And he does nothing. He dreams on, he is passive, a spectator. He doesn't even seem curious about what's going on. He seems quite content to take in God's promise. He doesn't argue. He doesn't question. He doesn't even say, cool, thanks. He is not at all interested in the incredible opportunity for action presented by the appearance of that ladder. And then, of course, the ladder's gone. And he does what so many of us do when some unexpected event, beneficial or tragic, has come and gone. He, we build shrines, we build monuments to the experience, and that's what he does too. The actual experience of the miraculous, of, of God's presence and the promise, all of that passes, that opportunity presented by that light-filled portal passes, and it becomes Stone. Stone anointed with oil, but still just stone in a landscape already littered with stone. I've read this story many times before, but this time I was so drawn to what those angels were transporting up and carrying back down, and I just wanted to shake him out of his stupor and yell, Wake up, Jacob! What are you waiting for? It's all happening right now. Wake up. Don't just sleep through it. Do something. Climb. Join the angels. Bring down those blessings. We need them so badly. And then you can build your shrine. That's exactly the same sentiment that has reverberated for me through the dark night of our weeks of shelter in place at the center of which i could not help but recognize a ladder a ladder that too many of us did not see or did not want to see or did not choose to climb because well promises were being made promises that things would soon return to normal, and normal is what we human beings crave. So I gave this talk at the synagogue recently, and I gave it hesitantly nervous that my outsider critique of Jacob would not be well received, and I I was fully aware of the fact that it is natural to be, as I surmise Jacob was, shocked, in denial, Wanting to just wait and see what happens. It is natural to put one's hopes into getting back to normal, getting back on track and continuing the journey. It's what we all want. So I was moved to speak from the conviction that there are always other possibilities and necessities. Those pointed to, for example, by both Judaic and Unitarian Universalist teachings, reminding us that while promises are fine and good, there are things we need to be doing to help fulfill them that we are called, each in our own way, to raise our sparks and to bring down blessings upon one another all the time, no matter where we are, or what we're looking at. Whether it be recognized as sacred space or as desecrated space, and I have to say particularly in the latter instance, thankfully my interpretation was welcome and well-received. but. As recently as a week ago, just as the news of the murder of George Floyd began to spread, something shifted. I began to recognize myself in Jacob's passivity. I saw that a ladder was once again in our midst. An opportunity to raise our sparks and to bring blessings down upon one another, and this time I couldn't move. I was glued to my phone and to the TV set, and I listened for the promises of our elected leaders to tend justice, and I was horrified to discover the discordance between reports of motives and methods across the country, and then I was awestruck, blown away by those who took to the streets all over the world. All those people sacralizing the streets with their righteous outrage and with their bended knees and their songs and their prayers. And as much as I like to think of myself as a nonviolent person, a respecter of private property, I was stunned to suddenly recognize sacred ground within the desecrated spaces of violent protest. I watched with awe the unfolding of events and, and the mingling of worlds, and I saw a ladder among us, a precious opportunity to sacralize that and those so long desecrated by racist ideologies and institutions. And so I sat there trying to figure out which was the greater good, to go to the protests on behalf of those endangered or already dead because of racism, or to stay home on behalf of those endangered by COVID of which I am one, and I never did reach out for the rungs of that ladder. I never did make an active choice about whether or not to join those protests. I was motionless, and that was as much due to the privilege that I carry as was my habit of of tuning out the ugly in order to focus on and take photos of only the beautiful and the harmonious. In both instances, I had choices. My guilt about not going to the protests, it can be medically justified. It can also be softened by choosing other forms of engagement and activism. And there are many ways to help build the arc of justice. That choice is a privilege I have because of my skin color. I could also have chosen to acknowledge through my photographs that which is not so beautiful. I could have chosen to acknowledge reality in its fuller complexity because the thing is nothing is unsacred. Nothing is unworthy of our attention. Every moment is worthy and full of promise and so fleeting, so fleeting. And that brings me here to this moment in our collective history, woven as it is of light and shadow, of grief and exuberance of fear and faith, destructiveness and creativity, the sacred and the desecrated, as it always has been. It's just easier to recognize it now. We are on sacred ground. We are sacred ground. Truly nothing and no one is unsacred. How could I not have known it? The gateway to heaven, which, which is just another name for justice, is right here and right now, and there are choices to make, and there is privilege to apply, and I, for one, intend to cultivate an eye for it. What is this privilege? How has it contributed to this moment? What is being asked of me? It is time to wake up to raise whatever whatever truth we can gather up, whatever truth we can find and bring down among us whatever blessings we are able, because this moment in history is sacred ground, because the shrine that most needs to be erected must be a lasting monument to our willingness right now to be fully present to one another In all of our frustratingly complex and precious diversity, I'm going to be a grandmother in September for the first time. And I want my grandchildren to see monuments, to see stones erected on behalf of this moment as a turning point in the history of humanity. There are choices to be made always. There is privilege to apply. So may we choose wisely and not miss the opportunity among us. Friends, the ladder is here, right now. Blessed be.